This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman, unconventional strategies for selling innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm going to be talking to two experts on the latest technology for two key areas of business. The first is in the area of competitive intelligence. And how can you keep tabs on what's going on with your competition, your strategic partners, your potential and existing customers, as well as what the industry is saying about you without having it consume all of your time? We're going to be getting that information from Jim Fowler. Jim's latest venture is Owler, but you may know him best as the original founder of Jigsaw, which is a company that Salesforce bought a number of years ago. Second, we're going to be speaking with John Barra of Mintigo. And John's firm deals with something called predictive campaigns. In essence, they help you sift through big data and find patterns to give you a sense of who could be your ideal customer that you're not even necessarily seeing. You're going to learn a ton of information and take plenty of notes with Jim Fowler and John Barra. So, Jim Fowler, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Ian. Thanks, man. So, I want to start with this idea of crowdfunding and crowdsourcing more more specifically. So, you know, obviously people people know this idea of crowdfunding as going out there and getting the full community to contribute to fund something. And the idea of crowdsourcing, especially when you're talking about B2B information, is a really interesting approach. So, take me back even to like the jigsaw days. Sure. And kind of the problem you were solving and how crowdfund or crowdsourcing solved that for you. Yeah, so for your your listeners who aren't familiar, of course, you know, I really define crowdsourcing as a bunch of people working together to solve a problem. Whereas, say, something like user-generated content would be something that you go put about yourself, like Facebook or or LinkedIn or user-generated content, and things like Wikipedia or Jigsaw or Owler are what I call crowdsourcing, people working together to solve a common problem. Um, so um, we founded a, I founded a company called Jigsaw back in '03. Um, we ended up getting bought by Salesforce in 2010. Um, and the whole thing was really founded out of a point of pain. I, I had been a VP of sales at three different companies before founding Jigsaw. And we needed a way for I needed a way for my reps um, to go and talk to target customers, figure out, you know, who is it at this company I need to talk to to sell my product to? And then have a phone number and an email uh, in order to uh, contact them and say, hey, do you want to buy my product? I mean, when you boil sales down, that's what you're doing. Um, so we founded Jigsaw as this kind of what I will call a gigantic business card exchange in the sky. And you could go in and, and uh, you know get business cards off that you needed for your target companies. And you got them by either adding one to the pile or cleaning one that's on the pile or you could purchase it as well. 
So the idea was, man, we got this problem. We can't get access to, to that information. And so at the time, it was just finding contacts, if you will, and who to call into. And then, of course, now in Owler, the focus is more on competitive intelligence and competitive information. So take us through kind of the history of competitive intelligence and kind of where it where it started and where it is today. Let's first step back and go, if you need to understand who a company competes with, this data really has not existed before except in a do-it-yourself um, exercise. In other words, you can't, you, you know, if you want to know how much um, revenue a public company does, or even a private company, you know, you know where to go, right? I can go get that. But if I were to say to you, Ian, go figure out who you know, XYZ company's competitors are, there's nowhere you could go to get that data. You'd have to go and just do some research on the internet. Make sense? So that was, that's actually the first problem that Owler is solving um, in that what we found is that our, our users really deeply care about their competitors. And even more specifically, they care about how they are doing compared to their competitors. But when we talk about competitive intelligence, what we're really talking about is um, a whole group of things such as, you know, getting news and alerts about what your competitors are doing, but also understanding how you're doing vis-a-vis your competitors um, in, you know, areas like, you know, a whole bunch of ways, revenue, estimated revenue, traffic, et cetera, et cetera. So competitive, we've really grown that. But the, the most um, normal experience that I think your, your listeners will understand is up to this point, trying to keep up with their competitors, what they've done is usually use Google Alerts, which is yep. a very messy process. You get a bunch of emails. There's a lot of false positives there. And I think our, our primary product, our daily, our daily snapshot is what um, is a fantastic replacement for that. Yeah. And what I like about it, because I've used it, what I like about it is that you're curating information from a lot of different sources in one digest, if you will, that's organized by that organization. So it's like, here's everything you need. Here's, a, as you appropriately call it, snapshot of what's going on with that competitor today. Absolutely. I, th- I think what we're really trying to tap into is a, a sense of guilt that I know I felt. And the business problem, one of the business problems we're trying to solve with Aller is that we all kind of feel a little bit guilty that we're not paying as close of attention to our competitive set as we should. Um, and what we're trying to do is just make that really, really easy. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the snapshot, one of the most important things that we monitor are all the blog posts of the companies that you're following. And let me be clear, competitive intelligence isn't just about your direct competitors. It's also about the customers and the prospects that you're all fighting for. So being able to track news and events and competitive comparisons with this whole group is all part of what we call competitive intelligence. We've expanded the definition of it. But I'll give you a great example. If I wanted to go follow, let's pretend my top five competitors, would I actually go sign up for their blog posts and, and, and read their blog posts and get all those RSS feeds? That's a huge pain in the butt. It would flood my inbox. I don't do that. But for instance, Snapshot, it's not just about the articles and press releases that everyone does, but also their blog posts. So I can just literally see a headline of that, and it quickly just gives me a flavor of what my competitors, my customers, my prospects are talking about. And uh, it's just a quick and easy way to do it. it. It fundamentally changes the whole 
process. And to be honest, it takes away some of that. We've heard from a lot of our users that makes them not feel guilty for not keeping up on this because it's easy. How am I going to use different tools that are out there, including Owler, to try and pull information? And what are kind of the big mistakes that you see people making when they're trying to pull information together? The biggest problem, again, out there is just, you know, having the time to pull it all together. I mean, like I said, this is a new concept coming in, you know, not just Aller, but I think a wave of companies that are doing the same thing where you're fundamentally redefining what something used to mean, whereas competitive intelligence used to be something that, you know, status, you know, data wants did in a back room and then, you know, delivered to the organization. It was usually only something that happened with large organizations. You know, they were the ones that had the ability to go hire competitive intelligence professionals to go and feed that usually to product marketing and sales. But of course, the C-suite as well, all the C-level folks who all care about that stuff. I think that's the fundamental change. You know, we're seeing this same kind of model change in things like analysis, whereas, you know, it used to be that um, only, you know, high paid analysis firms would go do analysis on companies, you know, usually for investment type of stuff, but for almost anything. Now you're seeing a whole wave of companies come out and, uh, and doing this at more of a citizen journalist way, like um, Seeking Alpha in the financial services industry is a great example of this. Yeah. Um, our, um, so main point is, is that I think you're seeing as a wave this happening here in the competitive intelligence space where companies like Owler are coming in and going, let's democratize this. Let's have everyone contribute to it and take it out of those back rooms. I think that's the big sea change here. What I want people to understand, and hopefully you can shed some light on this, is when people are thinking about information they should be collecting as sales professionals. So you're a sales executive, you're a CEO who's trying to drive sales for your organization. What's the information that people you know, always just say, oh, this I should collect this information? And what's the stuff that they usually don't think about that they really should be looking for? Yeah, it's it's a great point. I have an analogy I use here, Ian. It's called distance from the fax machine. And um, that's an old analogy, of course. No one really even knows what a fax machine is anymore, practically. You know, no business doesn't get faxed anymore. Um, but the analogy is funny. Um, what, I'm a salesperson, you know, by trade. I came up through the ranks as a salesperson. And so I'm saying this with a big smile on my face to all the salespeople. We're lazy. If given our druthers, we would stand in front of the fax machine, if you will, or our inboxes and just pull orders off, right? Well, if you can't do that, then okay, what's the next step away from the fax machine? Well, you know, marketing is going to serve a hot, fresh lead right into my lap and all I have to do is give them one call and close the deal and then get the fax machine. And then, well, that doesn't work. Okay, I'm actually going to have to go and figure out who you know, should I be talking to? And then I'm going to have to call them. And I mean, you keep stepping farther away from the fax machine is kind of the analogy I use. Um, and so when I look at what people really need, I think the most important thing you have to understand is like everything, the only constant is change. Um, when, when we found a jigsaw and when jigsaw really started getting success, I predicted that it was going to fundamentally change the nature of sales. And it wasn't just Jigsaw, it was also even more so LinkedIn, where you're starting to really make um, uh, transparent who the people are at organizations that salespeople or recruiters or any other type of salesperson is trying to target. It used to be that if you were you know, the, the early bird and you, know, you got there first, you know, not many other people were going to get there because it was really hard data to find. But 
the easier Jigsaw made to figure out who are the buyers, who are the people that are going to buy, the more people went to them and therefore the more noise that was there. In other words, if you're a C-level person where you might get three calls a week you know, before Jigsaw or LinkedIn, now you get 10 or 50. So my prediction was that, and still is, and it's going to continue this way, is that salespeople, the line between sales and marketing is going to blur and keep blurring. You're going to have to find ways to rise above the noise in order to get, you know, to talk to a potential buyer. And I think that, you know, we're just starting to see that scratch the surface on creativity. And, you know, companies like Owler, um, of course, are trying to get in front of that. Whereas if you don't understand what's going on with them, you don't even have a chance. But there's many other ways that you have to do this um, along the way. Um, my main point, and I guess the macro point here is, is that you are, salespeople are going to continue to have to get more and more creative from a, quote, marketing perspective in order to get in front of the customer than ever before. So, so Jim, let me ask you this. Aside from the obvious, which is that people should sign up for Aller and <laughs> you know, agree to spend the $0 that it costs to actually, to actually um, climb on board with Aller and, and get these feeds – What's the number one piece of advice you have for people on things they can do to improve their position and how they're seen from a competitive standpoint? I have one piece of just general advice for all business people in particular, and that is focus. I think successful companies really focus on what exactly they're going after. These are the people that we think are most likely, this, this vertical. And so for me, competitive intelligence is just a layer on top of that focus. And that focus is, you know, the key. If you don't have that, that's where I see most failure happen. Yeah, you know what? And in my guests across episodes, that's a common theme. And it's funny, I was having a conversation with the CEO um, just recently. And the guy said, well, so I'm thinking about doing this and that. And I said, yeah, don't do that. He said, well, why? You don't think, you don't think they're both good ideas? I said, I think they're both great ideas. Just if you're splitting your time between those two things, you're competing against somebody who's focused on one of them. Yeah. And you're at a competitive disadvantage. And it was like, oh, so um, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. So, Jim, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and to uh, to find out more about Owler also? Yeah, well, LinkedIn, um, I'm, I freely link to uh, lots of folks and be delighted to do that as well. Owler's simple. Um, you can follow me on, on Twitter at, at Fowlinator. And then, of course, um, www.owler.com will give you all the information that you would need there. So. Absolutely. And, and we'll, of course, have all that in the show notes. So I don't want people you know, driving off the side of the road. You can always check the show notes in the podcast and then get all that information. So, Jim, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Ian. It was a pleasure. You bet. So that was Jim Fowler from Aller. I now want to turn our discussion to John Barra from Mintigo. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, John is a guy who's a 25-year veteran of the Silicon Valley working with some of the fastest growth companies there. And you're going to see how we're shifting this focus from the old school ways of demand generation to really these predictive campaigns. So let me turn it over now and bring on John Barra. So John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. It's great to be here today. I know that you've lived through the full evolution, starting with people in direct mail, trying to do demand generation from there. So kind of take us through a brief evolution of where the industry's come from, and it'll help us better understand what it is you guys are doing at Mintigo to address the market today. 
Well, I think the journey that um, marketers have been on for a couple of decades is really one of um, gathering data about customers and prospects. And that's a never-ending journey because they are still trying to complete um, all those data sets. I mean, back in the day, it was really about uh, trade shows and direct mail and getting some response to uh, an ad. Um, along came the web and web pages, uh, webinars, uh, white papers, seminars online, form fills. And marketers suddenly had a little bit more data uh, from prospective customers that was uh, sent their way. So if you think about that, that journey, that, that spectrum of uh, paper to you know, direct mail to trade shows, physical contact, to getting business cards, to follow-up from ads, to digital transformation with um, all the digital lead capture, uh, and then the systems required to manage all that data, marketing automation and CRM, that's sort of the journey that occurred in the 90s and, and 2000s. Yep. Um, what's happening today is, I think, really it's this sort of next wave of, uh, of intelligence around uh, customer data, marketing, and sales data. So, so walk, walk me through what you mean by that, because my guess is what's happening is people have been collecting a lot of data and they probably don't even realize what they've been collecting. They're probably overlooking stuff that really would give them amazing insight if they knew what to look for. Right. Well, the typical relationship between marketing and sales has been something like this. Um, marketing spends money. Now, sales, say, sales says they need leads or contacts. Marketing spends money, does events, um, does things online, does physical events, trade shows, dinners, seminars, whatever, uh, produces content, attracts people to the website, gets them to register, and then says to sales, here are all your leads. And then sales says, these aren't leads, these are garbage. And they sort of turn their nose up at them and they throw them in the dumpster. So I call that dumpster marketing. Um, and the reason that has occurred, uh, and that frustrates both the marketing executives and the sales executives, and it certainly frustrates the CEO and the chief financial officer because there's a great deal of waste in today's system. Most of these marketing campaigns um, result in, in little to no uh, sales. Um, the Serious Decisions Analyst Group uh, has produced studies that show 97% of all so-called leads from marketing activities uh, never result in a sale. I got to imagine some of that, John, is also a function of the way the buyer's journey has changed. It's you know it, it used to be that marketing was there to kind of attract initial interest because let's face it. The customer couldn't go along the journey on their own. They needed the sales or marketing person to hand them things. So it's almost like people thought of it as two disjointed processes. Well, once they get enough marketing information that they have interest, then we hand it over to sales. And, of course, I'm guessing that what you're going to teach us is that, look, people are starting that that buyer mindset earlier. So it's not about handing it off to, to sales at the end but it's about getting sales involved earlier in the process. 
Yes, you point out a couple of very key trends here. One is the trend towards self-education. Uh, customers or prospective customers don't want to be sold. They want to be educated. And so the marketer's role has uh, shifted uh, more toward education and thus providing you know, valuable content uh, about the business value of any given solution is key. Also, um, customers want to feel safe uh, in investing in new solutions. And so they want to know who has done this before. Who, like me, has done this before? What customers from my industry or from my function have done this before. And so there's, there's an interesting piece of research that I've done on how executives make decisions that I think you'll like and how it ties in with this, which is um, I've done research with over 5,000 CEOs and executives. I take them through an exercise on making a real live decision. So basically we, we paint a scenario and say, so what are the questions you'd have to have answered? And the questions that executives ask when they're trying to make a decision the first one is kind of a hybrid, which is, what problem does this solve or why do I need it? So it always starts with, I need to understand what problem this is going to solve for me and why I need it. And the second question they ask is, what's the likely outcome or result? So it's not the ROI that the salesperson um, is trying to pitch, but rather, show me enough evidence that tells me that I'm likely to get these results and I'll buy into this concept if I believe I got a problem worth solving. So that that notion of when you say, well, they want evidence of what someone else has done and what other results people like me have had, it ties back into that likely result, which uh, makes what you're saying all the more powerful. Exactly. It's not about the vendor. It's about the potential customer. And I think that's the key lesson for all marketers is, what can this do for the potential customer or prospect's business? Not what is great about your shiny solution. How do we make it so that sales is integrated earlier on? And then how do we make it so that they're better using the marketing resources and the data that's sitting there to engage with people at the right time? Uh, you, you bring up another big trend that I believe is very important, which is using data to match um, prospective customers with sales. And so um, there, there are many, many examples out there in the business-to-consumer market. Like, think about Netflix. You like this movie. Now I recommend you're going to like this movie. Uh, Amazon, you bought this product. Why don't you look at these other products? I mean, you see that in, in all the major B2C uh, platforms uh, today. You know, you think about all these dating apps Match.com or whatever it might be, it's really uh, an algorithm or the machine telling the the user uh, what recommended options would be best for them based on other people like them. Or you liked this person, you might like that person. So this mega trend in that that is now starting to hit sales and marketing is to use the data uh, to find something to find people, to find um, trends, to find uh, geographic uh, trends. And that's what's starting to emerge. So give me an example of that because it'll, it'll help our audience have it kind of hit home for them. Sure. So one example would be this whole concept of predictive analytics where um, 
you are a, let's say, a technology company and you're selling software, and it could be security software or networking software or database software or whatever it is, um, really what you know about your customers is very thin. It's very little. You, you know their what's called firmographic information, you know, their name, their title, their email, et cetera, and you probably know what they've bought from you um, and how long they've uh, been a customer and how much they paid. That's not a lot of knowledge about that customer. So what predictive analytics does is creates um, a broader profile of your customers, almost like uh, what we call at Mintigo a customer DNA, where thousands of data points about that customer are added to their profile. And you get sort of a pattern of who they really are. Who are they hiring? Um, so what, what, what type of information might you be collecting? Great question. So the type of information that would be important in forming a true picture of a customer DNA would be uh, job titles of who they're hiring. Uh, what types of technologies are they using? Uh, what sort of certifications do they have, whether they're legal certifications, regulatory certifications, or technology certifications? How much are they spending on things like uh, Google Ads and pay-per-click? Pay uh, what are their geographic trends? Um, you know, it's, it's a much broader, richer look at who the customer is. If we look at that, and then we and then we look at your typical marketing automation that now says, "Okay, um, I sent out this email to this person. I know who opened it. I know how many times they shared it. Um, I know from where they did all this. And man, I may even have cookies, so I know what else they're doing um, on our site because of that." And there's your, you know, a lot of your marketing automation platforms. What is it that you guys are enabling people, enabling people to do that goes beyond that? It's really about this broader fit and DNA. So, yes, you're right. The marketing automation platforms like an Eloqua or a Marketo um, do a very good job of uh, capturing the data and the workflow around uh, behavior, how a prospective customer is interacting with your company. They've come to your website. They've responded to emails. They may have come to an event and so on and so forth. That's that's sort of a mature technology. The newer um areas that people like Mintigo are bringing to the party are this uh, predictive DNA, this, this data fit, and also the intent data. I'll talk about each of these. So the predictive fit is really understanding all these thousands of data points and elements about the broader customer picture, and then mapping the prospects uh, who look like your customers into your sales flow. So let's just say an example. Uh, let's say you're doing really well in a certain geography with a certain type of customer. Well, why are you? And are there other prospects in your database that look like that customer that you should be speaking to? That sort of look-alike marketing is a big benefit of uh, this new wave of predictive analytics. Finding prospects in your database who look a lot like your existing customers and then providing sales with a set of um, marketing indicators that are strong indicators uh, for the conversation. So, again, instead of you know selling somebody something, it's having a conversation about, I see you're doing uh, new security implementations. I see you're adding offices. I see that virtualization is important to you. I see that you have certifications around Sarbanes-Oxley and uh, some of the newer... Uh, safe harbor regulation. 
uh, let's have a conversation about how we might be able to help you with that and how we've helped other customers. That's a completely different model from a cold call. So I think this this whole element of of adding data to the sales function is really going to revolutionize uh, the way we do sales, and we're going to go from 97% uh, misses on our lead generation to maybe even handing fewer leads to sales that are better qualified, where there's essentially like a data dossier around that lead that tells sales why they should call this person and points them to previous success in the customer base uh, of how we've sold to people like this customer. Uh, the, the other area is intent, and you mentioned this previously with the cookies. When a customer's out there searching for something, uh, your salespeople need to know that. And so that's something that predictive analytics and Mintigo can deliver is, is this intent data. When someone's searching for certain categories, looking at other um, websites, that data needs to be exposed to uh, the sales force and the marketing so that we can respond. Yeah. Now, you know, it's it, and it, it's such a valuable piece. It's, it's funny. I actually spent a lot of time with organizations, obviously on the sales side, and I always explain to people, look, effective sales isn't about persuasion or coercion. Effective sales is about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. And so, so you know, the, the old way of kind of filtering was, you know, often people say, well, any company that's over $10 million in revenue. And I go, really? Okay, so is IBM a good prospect for you? Oh, they're probably too big. Okay, so it's not any company over $10 million. So what do you think is the upper limit on what you think you can really serve well? And then so they'll, they'll kind of start to narrow that. And I say, okay, but it isn't really any company with $10 because there's probably certain problems you're good at solving, right? Yeah, okay. So if someone really had that problem, but they're only $8 million, would they be a bad client for you? Oh, no, that'd also be a good client. Okay. So really, it's more about the problem that you solve, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, now, so what types of searches would someone do if they had that problem? And then you realize, look, 80% of the prospects, to based on the statistics you're sharing also, are a waste of your time. And instead of the old school where you couldn't quantify, the way marketing worked was, let me cast a wide net, get as many people as I can, and then sales will figure out which ones are qualified. Smart companies today are using tools like this to narrow the focus to the right opportunities, where instead of chasing 97% as being dead, you might get to the point where instead of, gee, I produce, I, I chase 100 to get three, you might get to the point where you chase eight to get four. That's the mindset. It's, it's really about using data and these tools to help sales and marketing uh, increase the precision of their segmentation and targeting. So that whole exercise you described where you took the customer through a series of questions in terms of what is their true segmentation, that happens every day in sales and marketing. And it's usually somebody throwing darts. It's conventional wisdom. It's guessing. It's how we've always done business. And what we see with our uh, customers, Ian, is this aha moment when we present the data that says, here's the DNA of your customers. And there's always this moment of shock and awe saying, of course, but we didn't know that. Of 
course it's customers using a certain technology or of course it's customers with a certain size or spending a certain amount on marketing. We didn't know that. We had no proof. And now um, with these type of tools, you're, you're getting uh, the data to back it up. The data is finally backing it up. And so it goes from a I think I feel exercise to I know. That's great. So, so John, if you had one piece of advice for someone who's in that demand generation game, in that sales and marketing side, what's the one piece of advice you'd give them in terms of things they should be looking at that maybe they're not looking at today? I think uh, that main advice I would give to the marketers is to partner with sales and to uh, look at the data and to get as much data as they can and as much analysis as they can going uh, into the sales and marketing process because that partnership with sales is going to go a long way for mutual problem solving and, and uh, a competitive advantage. That's great. And, and finally, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and to uh, find Mintigo? Well, we've got a very active website and blog, Mintigo.com. Um, there are a number of uh, trials they can sign up for uh, on the on the website, and uh, if they're a B two B marketer looking to find buyers faster, uh, Mintigo makes predictive marketing easy, and we've had great success with some of the leading B two B marketers like Oracle and Red Hat. That's fantastic. Well, John, thanks for sharing your wisdom and taking people on that journey. I think the right people out there are going to get a lot of benefit from what you guys have done. It's my pleasure, Ian. Thank you so much. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the big takeaways that Jim and John shared with us today. First, when it comes to competitive intelligence, I think Jim's done an amazing job of crowdsourcing information shared by other people so you can get that private company information you couldn't get elsewhere. Remember, the idea is that it's been an evolution. What used to be business cards and collecting information now has evolved beyond Google Alerts to get real competitive information. Second, when it comes to what John Barra talked about, when talking about demand generation, the idea is that it isn't about collecting mass amounts of information and then trying to sift through it. Instead, predictive campaigns give you a sense of, gee, when I'm seeing this sort of buyer behavior, this gives me an indication of who's an ideal customer. I would encourage you to take a look at Owler as well as Mintigo because I think they're both emerging technologies that are really going to do well in the coming years. Remember, this program gets its input and direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the program, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just drop me an email at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. You're going to get a reply from me, not somebody on my team. I'll answer all those emails personally. Have a great week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at Grow My Revenue.